My name is Ralph, and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Sonia. Um, I want to thank Dick and uh, Barb for their efforts in putting this on. from the beginning, you know. And I want to thank all of you. Most uh, I've had the opportunity to talk with a lot of people, and you guys have made me feel as if um, in some small measure you've actually remembered a couple of things that I've had this opportunity to share up here over the past couple of years, and I'm grateful. I'm glad Kathy read steps one, two, and three, four, so I'll know what it is we're doing this morning. <laughs> and Lee, so that since I'm doing three, and I don't want to go over your thing, let me put my thing up here. Step one admitted I'm powerless over alcohol in my life to become a manageable. Uh, thing about when you do these deals, some of the basic assumptions that I usually make at meetings, I don't always make here. And it really costs me because of, when, at these functions, usually I, I think there's a lot of people here who are really interested in their recovery, who have been doing this deal, and there are. And then I sit here with a bunch of almost all of my AA mentors, you know, whether I see them all the time or not, you know, when I'm in the presence of them, it really brings out one of my chief character defects, you know, um, you know, and so um, I see Tom and Sandy in the house, and my girl Mari here, and Linda, and uh, Mr. P. And then there's a guy sitting here in the front. I forget his name. Uh, <laughs> you know, and you know the dude that's standing in front of you this morning. I'm an image guy, like to be liked, you know. Um, used to be dominated by what I think you think about me. And these steps in particular, foundation steps, building block steps upon which everything else rests, I usually like talking about these, especially in a group full of new people, because I start thinking, oh, everybody in here knows what alcoholism is. Everybody in here knows what they look like. You know, I, why don't I take one and, and, and you know, come off some uh, Ralph metaphysical plane of what step one looks like when you've been so... But I'm going to pretend everybody in here is new. And the reason I do that, somebody talked yesterday, maybe it was Clancy, and talked about this book and talked about how the longer I'm here, the more they slip new information in this same book, right? So the reason I like going over and over and over is not because I'm interested in an intellectual exercise, because I'm not. My sponsor, who's not here, but his wife is representing us, always talks about you cannot treat a spiritual disease through mechanical means. So I don't do the step process 
as as a ritual or a mechanical exercise. I don't do it because I'm a good guy, and I don't do it because I'm necessarily trying to be a good guy. I do. I'm not virtuous, and I don't do it out of virtue. I, I started doing it out of desperation, and I still do it for my life. And now I started doing it because I like it, and it works. It works better than what I used to do on my own. This step one deal. At the front of the book, last night, and I guess I'm still a softy for Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Borcher's film showed last night, and there were parts in that film when Bill and Dr. Bob first met, and when Lois and Ann Smith came out and hugged, and it felt like it transported me to what it is we really do, because sometimes I take it for granted. You know, Polly, sometimes I really take for granted just how miraculous it is that this many of us are sitting clothed in our right minds on a Saturday morning. Most of you, most people in here have money in their pocket. You know, and that is a, that right there is a miraculous thing to be sober on Saturday with money in my pocket. And I've been sober enough Saturdays that sometimes I take it for granted. So when those two gentlemen got together, um, and after they had been doing this deal for a little while, and they decided to put it in a book and slip me in the pages of that book, they said at the beginning of this book, we're going to drop a chapter from this guy who's been treating Bill Wilson three or four times. He's seen his struggles. He's worked with him. He's the chief medical physician at Towns Hospital. And when you go to the doctor, most folks that go to the doctor go to the doctor for a physical ailment. Doctor, doctor, what's wrong with me? See psychiatrists for mental diseases and psychologists and the like. But for physical ailments in the physical, I go see the doctor. I say, doctor, doctor, what's wrong with me? And the doctor generally gives me a diagnosis. A diagnosis. That's his opinion. The doctor's opinion. And when this book was first written for folk like you and me, there was the idea that in order to give this book some legitimacy and some credibility, we need to have somebody other than just a drunk because what this book is is a compilation of experiences from a group of drunks. But Ralph White is going to read this book. Why should I listen to what a bunch of drunks have to say, even though that's the basis of our fellowship? But when the book was written, we're going to give it some legitimacy. So at the front end of that book, we're going to drop this doctor's diagnosis, the doctor's opinion in there. Well, anybody could go get a quack. Most of us look at court TV. One side can hire an expert, and the expert will say what he said. Whoever pays him, that's what he's saying. So Ralph will think, well, uh, this is just another quack that these drunks hire. So the doctor, when he did the doctor's opinion, he qualified himself. Chief physician, nationally known hospital specializing in the treatment of alcoholism and drug addiction, qualified himself. So now he's got these credentials. And in that doctor's opinion is some information that was 
life-changing for me. Now, most of the information in the big book called It's Anonymous is not new information for me. It's not informational as much as it's confirmational. When I read it, it confirms what I already knew, but I didn't know I knew it. In the doctor's opinion, the first thing it talks about, and that opinion, and the reason I'm going to talk about the doctor's opinion, and you can't talk about the first step without talking about the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion is where we talk about the physical aspect of our disease. Now, I know a lot of people get up here and probably say, I was an alcoholic from the very first, I was an alcoholic before I took a drink. While that may qualify me as a potential alcoholic, the nature of alcoholism, by definition, requires, there's a physical aspect. So until I start drinking, Still, I start drinking. You know, I might suffer from a... It's a bunch of folk who have the same symptoms we suffer from that never took a drink. We call them neurotic. We call them psychotic. We call them, you know, sociopaths. We call them a bunch of stuff. But until I start drinking and develop this phenomenal craving, this physical allergy, the physical component, in the doctor's opinion, he talks about any, any description of the alcoholic that leaves out the physical factor is incomplete. First thing I'll start. So one of the things, you know, one of the benefits of reading the book, in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, it does three things for me. Each, every single step that we do, there are three things it does. First, it tells me why I need to take that step. Gives me a why. I'm a practical guy. I like that. Then it tells me how to do it. Precisely, how to apply this step to my life and my experience. And then it does this last thing for me. It's the thing I love the most at each one of the steps tells me the results I'll get if I apply this step to my life. We call them promises, and there are promises at the back of every one of the steps. So why I need to do it, how to do it, and what will happen if I apply this step to my life. So in the doctor's opinion, because I'm one of these guys, I'm a smart guy, and I come in and I say, why do I need to read the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous? At every single one of our meetings, they have the steps on a scroll probably, and they're right there. There are the 12 steps, so why can't I do the cliff note version? Why do I have to read the whole book? Clancy already talked about how the book is dull. Anyway, I can just read the 12 steps and go on and go about my business and handle my business. I don't need to read that book. You guys keep talking about that book, that book, that book. Why? Why? Why read the book? What step says we don't take the first one? Some bright person in the audience is probably going to say the first step. No, the first step says I will take the first one. It says I'm powerless over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable. And if I stay stuck on that step, if I'm powerless over it, I have no power to resist it. And my experience shows me that. Not yours, not the book, not Bill Wilson, not Dr. Bob. I drank for you. I started drinking when I was 16 years old. I took my first drink in the back of a car with my with an older partner of mine. I'm a late bloomer in Alcoholics Anonymous. I know a lot of you guys were drinking your parents' drinks at 8 or 9 or 10 years old. I didn't. My father was an alcoholic. I said with everything in me, I'm not going to be like that man. I did not like him. He seemed weak to me. He seemed ineffectual. He was not a person you looked up to. He didn't take me to father-son banquets. He was not Bill Cosby or the Huxtable dad. You know, my dad was a janitor with a high, with less than a, a junior high school education, and he, he was a drunk. But my dad did not come home. My dad was not at home drinking. He was always away. And my mother put him out of the service period of time when I was eight or nine years old, and my mom raised six boys by herself. And my first goal and vow was, I'm not going to be my daddy. So I didn't touch anything. I grew up in the 60s, and it was a change in time, and it was a turbulent time, and I was a person that was caught up in those times. I was going, you know, I was really active in my community. I was really active in my neighborhood, and I was going to leave my mark on the world. 
You know, my earliest vow and my earliest goal as a kid was I'm going to be the first black president of the United States. I was a high achiever. I was a straight-A student. I, I made my mother proud. I got my name in the paper. So, you know, people used to encourage me. And, 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 and my neighborhood was a pretty nurturing neighborhood, even though it was a rough neighborhood. In those days, it was really a high premium place. On, in order to get up out of this neighborhood, you're going to be, you'll be educated and you'll do some stuff. And I, I, I'm that kid, you know, so... I'm a late bloomer in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, this is the first place I ever came to where folk try to outbottom each other. You know, and so, <laughs> and so at my home group, which is in my home group, which is 9604 South Figueroa in South Central. I said that was my first home group, you know, and, and cats would be in there talking about going to the pen, and they didn't have teeth, and they were rough guys, and I was a schoolboy, you know, and I wanted a penitentiary story without ever visiting the pen, you know. Um, <laughs> so I'm growing up like that, and, and, but I'm not going to be my daddy, but I, I took that first drink, 16 years old, in the backseat of an older partner's car. And that first drink did something for me, and it transformed me. And I was not, no longer, and I wasn't a shy. My story from that point is not a lot different than a lot of people's story. I wasn't a shy guy anymore, and I grew up a shy guy. I was scared of girls. I kissed my girlfriend, and I did other stuff to her I had never even dreamed of doing before. And alcohol started doing what it did for me. I went off to college, and like a lot of people in those days, I was away from home for the first time, and I just, and, and I went wild at school. You know, and, and like Bill, you know, just like him, the drive for success was on, and I proved to the world I was important. And drinks started taking a more important and exhilarating part in my life. And it started being a part of every single thing that I did, and it allowed me. And I'm running with people who would later on be political leaders in this country and in my town and in my state. I'm running with people who play football on Sundays and who play basketball during the weeks. I'm running with people who be captains of industry and business leaders, and I'm going to be one of them. I'm going to be one of them. That's why when Sonia sang that song, you know, my, my, the Bill and his story would always talk about, you know, from this alloy of drink and speculation, from this combination of his drinking and his thinking, he would later forge a weapon that would turn on him like a boomerang, cut him to ribbons. And I always say, that's not how I talk. You know, and, and, and Sonia sang the song that my mother used to say that it, Bill talked about a boomerang. Trouble always starts out like fun, and I'm at this major university, and I'm rolling with people, and, I'm, and, and, and I, you couldn't have told me alcohol would take me on the journey that it took me on, and eventually it did, and eventually I started spending all my money every two weeks, whole paycheck. My wife used to look at me and say, Ralph, how come you can't make it home with a dime out of your paycheck? And I retreat behind that wall that I built up and I'd have this resentment and I'd be gritting my teeth looking at her. And behind the wall, I'd be thinking to myself, how come I can't bring a dime home out of my paycheck? And I encounter the doctor's opinion. And the doctor's opinion says some interesting things for a guy like me. Some very interesting things. It talked about chronic alcoholics. Chronic marked by repeated or frequent occurrence. Chronic diseases as opposed to acute diseases. The measles, the mumps, chicken pox, those are acute. You get them, you get treated for them, you have them, you get over them, done with it. 
A lot of people in here have had the measles, haven't had them again. Had the mumps, haven't had them again. Had chicken pots, haven't had them. Then there are chronic diseases, heart disease, diabetes. You know, you're going to imagine HIV. You're going to have it. You're going to live with it. You can treat it and you can live with it. But if you don't take your medicine, something's going to happen. Be with you for the re- Alcoholism is a chronic disease. Is a chronic disease. Will be, if you get it, if you get it, all you cucumbers out there, if you are now pickled, you will not be a cucumber again. It is a chronic disease, and that's what it is, and it is a fatal disease. So the doctor talked about chronic alcoholism, and he said some things. He said some things about the physical nature of this disease. And I started out by saying, which step says we just do not take the first one? And that's why it's so critical and so vital to read the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. In the doctor's opinion, he talked about, Ralph, I got got an answer for you why you cannot make it home with a whole paycheck. And he talked about, he, he, he the doctor theorized. See, the doctor had a theory because he doesn't suffer from this. His theory was confirmed by my experience. Ain't a theory for Ralph. The doctor theorized that there's something physically different about a guy like me. And he said this physical difference, he called it an allergy. Well, that threw me and that baffled me. Early in life, I had an allergy to strawberries, like strawberries. I would eat them. I'd break out in rashes, and they'd be all on my arms. I wouldn't eat strawberries. I don't like rashes. I like strawberries, but I don't like rashes more than I like strawberries. And so I would not eat strawberries for anything in the world because I had an allergy to them. Some of you have an allergy to certain things, shellfish, whatever it is, guaranteed you, you don't go looking for them and seeking them out. You know, so when the doctor, in his opinion, talked about I had an allergy to alcoholism, didn't understand that because I do not run from alcohol. If I start drinking, and matter of fact, you know, it's, it's on, and it will not stop. But he said something else. He said this allergy, he called it the manifestation of this allergy. The way that this allergy shows up, Ralph, you know, what's an allergy anyway? Had to back up because I didn't know. In Alcoholics Anonymous, I had to change some of my definitions. I had, well, you know, because the way that you use them in the room is not the way that I use some of these words in my everyday walk-around vocabulary. And some of the ones that talk about this physical disease, some of those I had to change immediately. Craving. Allergy, you know, and so the doctor, what he talked about, so what's an allergy? An allergy is an abnormal reaction to a food or a substance or anything. So an abnormal reaction, the normal reaction to a drink, normal drinker, has a couple of drinks, gets a warm, tipsy feeling, I'm cool, puts the cap on the bottle. I didn't even know bottles came with caps till I got sober, you know, and... I'm cool. I'm, I'm done. You might have seen some of those folks. You know, not me. You know, I'm at happy hour. They say last call for happy hour. I say bring me nine gin gimlets, you know, and I'm there. I'm there till two and then I'm at the after hours after that. I don't leave. I don't have. The, so allergy for me, you know, so, so, so how does this allergy express itself, Ralph? How does this abnormal, what's this abnormal, how is it expressed? Well, the doctor, in his opinion, said he, he's going to say this allergy, the manifestation of this allergy, he calls it, is the phenomena, something we can't see, feel, or touch, but we know it's there, called a phenomena of craving. Craving? 
We have some mothers here that, that have been pregnant, and usually, you know, that's one of the ways we think of craving first. And it always happens at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Why y'all wait till then? You know, I'm craving some black walnut ice cream. Can you go to 7-Eleven or something for me? And so craving, in the way that I normally think about it, a craving precedes me one something. Change your definition, Ralph, when you come to Alcoholics Anonymous. In, when we talk about alcoholism, this phenomena of craving takes place after I take the first one. And that's how the allergy expresses itself. Ralph's allergy to alcohol is expressed like this. When I take one, something happens in me. I'm not a doctor. I don't know if I got a defective regulator and it just don't work, or I don't know if I was born without a regulator. One of the two, it don't matter. When I take one in me, Something happens that compels me bodily to have another. And the only people that happen to, we have a name for them. We call them alcoholics. If I have ever experienced the phenomenon of craving, then I am probably alcoholic. How do I know? Well, you can't describe the taste of a banana. If you've ever experienced it, you've experienced it. Linda, you don't even know. You just know this. You and Barbara know this in an intellectual way. Dick, we know this in a real Earlham way. You know, if you've ever experienced the phenomenon of craving, you ain't, you know, well, how do I know I have? It ex- and then the book says something else. It says, even though I don't know why this happens, Ralph, smart guy, I want to figure it out and say medically that don't make sense or whatever. Even though I don't know why it happens, it explains things for which I couldn't otherwise account. It explains things that have been unexplainable to me. Oh, that's why I can't bring a dime home for my paycheck. Because it's something physically different about me. And I gave it a name. And it allowed me to turn my head on a dime and see my experience for what it really was. Because check this out. I always thought there was something bodily different about me. I was just confused. I thought the bodily difference in me was I got higher capacity than most. John, the rest of them, Dave, you know, they can't hang with the big dogs. You know, that's what I thought it was. I got high capacity, and the rest of the people that went home at 2 or 3 o'clock, they don't even need to try to hang with us. You know, that's it. No, Ralph, you got to twist it. You bodily different, all right, but not in the way that you thought. Something bodily different about me. And explain things that have been unexplainable. It explained why every two weeks I would say I'm just going to spend 20 what would happen? Whole paycheck. I'm just going to stop off at happy hour. What would happen? Whole paycheck. I'm just going out, baby, to the store on Wednesday to pick up some bread. What would happen? Back on Friday. You know, I'm just going to stop off over here at my boy's house for a minute. What would happen? Three days later. Over and over and over and over and over again. My experience, not yours, 
not the writers of the big book, not Bill, not Bob, not my sponsors, not anybody else. My experience abundantly confirms for me when I take anything, no matter what I have to do, where I have to go, who I have to see, no matter how great the wish or the necessity, my body takes over and I have to have another. Okay, smart guy. If it's only my body, how do you explain stone sober? My car seemed to drive to the LIQ on payday. So I got to this point. I got to this point where my life was in shambles. You know, I'm now, I'm out of school and I'm working. And, and, and we get up to about 1986, which is when I met you guys. Life on the line. Life on the line. I'm at the point where I'm drinking the stuff. I'm thinking about where drinking is taking me. No more fun in it. Fun gone. And the doctor, in his opinion, he talks about another aspect of this disease. And Bill talks about it a little bit later on. If he said, if it's just my body, if it's just my body, all I have to do is say, just say no. We'd have a one-step program, right? Just say no. Just say no. Before I go any further, there's one other piece in that doctor's opinion that was just the, the striking piece. It's one of the biggest you know, endorsements for why I read the book. I asked the question, what step says we don't take the first one? Nowhere. In the doctor's opinion, it says our first suggestion is entire abstinence. Turn this program from, if I just wouldn't have been drinking, you know I was drinking Southern Comfort, I shouldn't have mixed that gin with it. That's the problem. That's the problem. Jack, I said I was just going to have three tonight. When I went to drink number, that's the problem. You know, old timers in A used to say, it ain't the caboose that gets you, it's the engine. It's the first one. We just don't take the first one. Well, what changes our program from being just a one-step program? Just say no. I don't have the ability to just say no. There's another component to this first step to this, and that's the mental obsession. An obsession and a, a thought. And it's sometimes when you're in an obsession, it don't even feel like a thought. It feels, it feels way more overwhelming than a thought. Because this thought obliterates all other thoughts. It crowds out anything else. It feels like an overwhelming compulsion and your car will just drive you. I came to this program four times before I came to stay. You know, the thought that somehow, someday. Doctor says, people like us, in a normal state, and I used to think my normal state was drinking. I used to say, and I used to be proud of that. I used to say, I get so loaded, I, I stagger when I'm sober. You know, and be proud of saying stuff like that. You know, but it almost was true. You know, and so this, this idea, it says people like us, guys like Ralph, that the lights came on when I started drinking, that life started for me when I started drinking. Things were in Technicolor when I started drinking. Got a friend at home, and she always says, when I start drinking, and I'm, I'm a man, but I can still identify with it. She says, when I start drinking, I get wittier, prettier, and tittier. And I said, <laughs> I said, I identify with that. <laughs> 
Silkworth had a different way. He didn't say witty or pretty or serious. Silkworth said these alcoholic types, these allergic types are restless, irritable, and discontent. When I'm in my normal state, when I'm sitting around on Wednesday, I don't call it restless, irritable, or discontent. I'm, at the, I'm bored. I'm antsy. Need something to happen. Unless they can at once experience the sense, not getting ease and comfort, the sense of ease. Because if you ever enter that world, if you're the shy guy and you ever enter that world that we alcoholics know, if you ever go to that region, the sensation is so elusive. Yeah, it's doing a little for me, but I gotta have it. I gotta have it. Sensation is so elusive, you know. And so it talks, and and so there's this mental obsession to control and enjoy, which is a cold obsession, control and enjoy. Anytime I was controlling, I wasn't enjoying. Anytime I was enjoying, I damn sure wasn't controlling. I don't know why I'm stuck on that one. But the idea, so there's this, this, this physical aspect. In the middle. And then there's that second half of that first step. And our lives have become unmanageable. For a guy like me, it wasn't hard to wrap my head around the concept of unmanageability on a surface level. When I came to you guys that October in 1986 in a real dark place, didn't have a driver's license, didn't have a place to stay, Hadn't worked in over a year, did not feel employable again, didn't know where my family was living and didn't know where my little girl was enrolled in school. Hadn't looked at myself full face in a mirror for probably the last two years, was not bathing on a regular basis, was sleeping in the back of my mother's garage, was a graduate of a major university in this country, and my job at that time was taking the trash out for a 21-year-old. I was eating lemons off a neighbor's lemon tree for breakfast, and things just, and it just looked like I had a, a, a streak of bad luck, you know, and it was. (laughs) So the idea of life unmanageable, it wasn't really hard for me to wrap my head around that one. You know, on page 52 in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a more detailed definition and explanation. Because some folk didn't come in here with their life looking like that. Some folk didn't come up here with their life all the way off the rails. Some folk didn't come up here with losing all of those the physical stuff. But most of us came in here on page 52. Prey to misery and depression. Couldn't control my emotional nature. Couldn't seem to make a living. Having trouble with personal relationships. The deeper nature of the life unmanageable. So I came in here and I had all that stuff going on. Life on the line. 33 years old and ready to give up. Why try? I had gone so far down the thought of getting up didn't even come to mind anymore. Why even try? You know, and I came in here and my life was there, life on the line. Full of, you know, so, so, and it talks about admitting that I'm powerless so well. But step one, the way we express it in the meetings has an implication that's unexpressed. Because step one is not the first step in recovery. There's a step A that precedes step one. We had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. Step one is an admission out of my mouth. Step 
A is a concession that precedes the admission. I told you I came in here four times before I came to stay. And I did the admission three times. And I did the admission because I like talking. And you got to say you're an alcoholic in order to share the meeting. you got to say you're an alcoholic to share the meeting. So I said I'm an alcoholic. But I hadn't conceded to my innermost self. I hadn't made that, that concession. We call it surrender. Surrender at death. And I had not done that one. And if you aren't, and, and the thing for me, I don't really trip off the surrender because alcohol will surrender you. You know, there's one element, there's one thing I have to bring to the table that nobody else can bring. If there's anybody in here that's new or that's struggling, there's one thing I have to bring to the party. Nobody else can bring it. My sponsor can't bring it. None of the speakers this weekend can bring it. Clancy can't bring it for you. Bill Wilson out to bring Can't bring nobody else. One thing I have to bring to the party, that's desire. That's willingness. Damn, Ralph, I can't seem to get willingness. How do I get it? I don't know but one way to get it. And I don't know a nice way to say it. I just say it a well-whooped ass. That's my experience. Alcohol surrendered me. I didn't have to worry about surrendering to it. It surrendered me. And if you're struggling, you know, when alcohol has had its way with you, you probably will make it back to us what we call sweetly reasonable. And that October 1986, I was sweetly reasonable. And I had had that surrender. You know, alcohol had surrendered me. It had done it and had its way with me. So I came in here. And in the chapter to the agnostics, we, that's my favorite chapter in the book, agnostic. You know, most of us know a believer. A lot of people come in here, true believers, already have a belief in the power, already have a lot of knowledge and information about the power. I've heard a lot of nuns, and I've heard a lot of priests share, and those are the people who have the hardest time getting this program. Ones who already have a true belief. I know God. I know my person, you know, I know God. True believer, already know. Then you got the other end, the atheist. The atheist is a person who believes that you can prove the non-existence of God. Then you got... That person in the middle. Don't believe you can prove or disprove either the existence or the non-existence of God. That's one definition of agnostic. Another definition of agnostic, working definitions for Ralph. One definition of agnostic, believe there's a God, but he don't work for me. Another definition of agnostic, believe there's a God, but he sure don't want to have nothing else to do with me. Believe there's a God, or I sure don't want to have nothing to do with him. You know, agnostic. And I came in here, I was raised in Baptist church. I had an overdose of religious education. I said, when I turn 16 years old, you'll never have to worry about Ralph White darkening the doors of nobody else's church. Said it, did it, meant it. Grew up in the 60s, changing time, turbulent time. Grew up in old Southern Baptist church in the heart of Los Angeles, California. A bunch of Southern immigrants were there who had come from the South, hardworking people, blue-collar people. You know, and I was a smart guy. 
I'm a I'm a schoolboy. By the time I turned, I have a sort of arrogance in me that I've always had. By the time I was 10 or 11 years old, because I could speak the King's English and it would be old guys in there. That I thought I was smart. And I look at people in church and I look down on them. And I think to myself, you guys need to be in here. You know, and later on, if you came up in the 60s and you knew what kind of time that was, we were saying religion is an opiate of the people. I'd rather smoke mine. Thank you very much. You know, just saying, you know, try to say smart stuff like that. And just going through life looking down on folk, you know. And so, so when I came in here, you know, and, and I love when you read that chapter, Ignostic. It says, perhaps we had another person's conception of thought. And we thought when we rejected the conception, we had rejected the God idea. Me. Hit me. In the chapter right there, it has a two-question test for alcoholism. We have it, pamphlets that have 20-question tests and 40-question tests. There's a two-question test for alcoholism in the chapter we agnostics. And the first question is, if when I'm drinking, I have little control over the amount I drink, that's me, or if when I want to quit, I find I cannot quit entirely, that's me, then you are probably alcoholic. Okay, that's me. I can't control the amount I take when I start. And when I say I'm not going to, I start again anyway. I'm probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. Whole deal. Step one is the problem. Step two is the solution. Solution. Spiritual experience. Do I believe I suffer from an illness that only a spiritual... Why has it got to be only a spiritual experience? Well, Ralph, <laughs> don't bobble here at the book. Don't read the book and just be nah. No, it's in the book, so it's true. Why? Why? Question it. If the book can't withstand scrutiny, it's not worth the paper and the ink is printed. Why? Don't, don't just bobble here. I need to have an experience for myself. So I said to myself... Why is it only a spiritual experience to conquer it? Do I believe that? I tried a financial experience. Kept getting loaded. I tried an educational experience. Kept getting loaded. I tried a love experience. Kept getting loaded. I tried a physical experience. Exercise. I even did acupuncture. Kept on getting loaded. Tried the emotional experience. Kept getting loaded. Tried the self-knowledge experience. Relapsed again. Tried the fear experience. Scared. Can't go on. Kept on. Tried the human experience. Crying with my wife and baby. Family experience. Tried every single one of them. Couldn't get sober. Couldn't get sober. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. Then it goes on to say something else. Hit me where I live. Face falls. To be doomed to die alcoholic death, torture death, dead man walking death, three or four o'clock in the morning walking death, slow death, don't just lay down and die death, not quick, long, ugly, degrading, humiliating, that kind of death. We saw it last night, and that, that kind of death. Folk looking at you like, just wish you'd be gone. My wife coming up to me and saying, I told your daughter we took out a life insurance policy on you. That's probably the best you, and I'm thinking that's probably the best I can. Slow death. So to be doomed to die alcoholic death or to live life on a spiritual basis are not always easy. I'll tell you, what the hell? How come they ain't easy? 
alcoholic death or life. Should be easy, right? But they didn't just say alcoholic death or life. They said alcoholic death or live life. And then they slipped that other piece on a spiritual basis. Why aren't they easy alternatives? Gas chamber or electric chair, which one you want? <laughs> Castor oil, cod liver oil, which one you want? <laughs> Go get a switch or the belt, which one you want? <laughs> Why aren't they easy alternatives? When they're not easy alternatives, it's either because A, the alternatives look exactly the same, or B, the alternatives look equally unappealing. Alcoholic death and spiritual life looked equally unappealing to me. Why? Because I don't know what the spiritual life looked like, and I think I do. I'm handicapped by prejudice. I'm handicapped by obstacles. So that's the deal. That's the whole deal. That's the whole purpose of me doing this for the rest of this process, the rest of this time. I'm looking for the spiritual experience. I'm not looking for information about this power. I'm not looking for, you know, more information and trying to get informed and knowledgeable about the power. I need relationship. I need experience with. Experience implies relationship. Relationship. Yeah, John knows Kathy. That's not enough. He in relationship with He's having an experience with He's having an experience. You know, it implies relationship. So this whole second step deal, you know, if you're sitting in here right now and you think, I'm just trying to learn more about that. But don't trip off that. God don't make too hard to turn with those who seek him. A lot of times people be making it seem big and it seems hard and it seems beyond. Okay, Ralph, I just can't wrap my head around this God idea. Everybody else is sitting in the room and they seem like they're getting it. Do I not believe or am I even willing to believe? Well, no, I don't think I'm willing to believe. Okay, do you, that there is a power greater than myself. Why would I be willing to believe there's a power greater than me? Because I already knew there was. We called it alcohol. I needed a power bigger than it. I needed a power bigger than it. I need a power bigger than it. And so the only reason I put my feet on this path that has really been going somewhere for these past years, the only reason I did it out of desperation, I got to that point, the negative second step, I always call it. I had already come to believe. We talk about coming to believe in a power greater than ourselves, but I had done that negative second step. I had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as I have been living it. I had come to believe that I was going nowhere fast. I had come to believe that I wasn't going nowhere, I was going to keep not going nowhere, and that was it for me. I had come to believe that life was the way it was, and that's it, that's all. I got presented with something different. I got presented with something different, and I was ripe and I was fertile. When when desperation meets opportunity, a window of grace opens up, and you better jump. Sliver of grace opens up, and I jump through the window. A few times that, that window would open up, and I didn't jump. And the next day... Because I got a forgetter that you will not believe. You know, that next day, if I didn't jump through the window, I sucked on a youngster pistol one time. And then, and, 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 and the very next day, got out of that jam, and I'm talking to my brother, and I'm thinking to myself, he wasn't really going to pull the trigger, no way. He was just playing. You know what? I'm, 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 I'm back into what it is I'm doing. But that October in 1986, I jumped. I jumped through the window. Jump through the window. 
See, grace is always there. I'm not one that people talk. I hear people talk about we the chosen few. I don't know. And this whole God concept, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a jump around for a minute. This whole God concept. The second step is about this uh, a relationship with a power. And the thing about this relationship is, I don't have a concept of a power. Most people don't. Most people are not born in the world with a concept of God. Most people don't come in the world with a concept of God. How could we? How could we? You know, that concept is formed from other focus. You know, I inherit it from my family. I inherit it from my community. I either get it from my schooling. I might get it because I go out searching myself. But even if I go search through various religions, there's somebody in here who tells me how it's supposed to look. This is how it looks. Whatever deity it is or whatever worship it is, this is how we do it. And this is how you'll do it, too. So most folk don't come with a formed concept of a power. Well, why do I need a concept of a power anyway? Well, I don't need a concept of Lee. Most of us can look at Lee. He's a tall guy. We could all agree on that. Handsome gentleman, you know. There might be some, some of them might be a little subjective, you know. You know, Lee's wearing black today. He looks in pretty good shape. All of us can see. And the reason we don't need a concept of Lee is we can see him, we can feel him, we can touch him, we can smell him. But we cannot see, feel, touch, and smell this power. So all of us, so all of us have these different ideas. So somebody presents us. And one of the things that I had to do in this, in, on this journey, this, 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 looking for the spirit spiritual experience that I need. It's my medicine. I suffer from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. I'm after the spiritual experience. And in that chapter, we acknowledge that there are building blocks to the experience. And the thing I like the most about that chapter for a guy like me, I don't come in here. You know, when you go to church, you already have to meet some conditions before you go. In a Baptist church, they will say, do you accept, Barbara knows, do you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal? When you join the church, you have to already have met some conditions. What I like the most about our program and what I like the most about, you ain't got to meet no condition. Come as you are. This God idea, this God idea, there's a, that, that, the most freeing line in there. God don't make too hard to terms with those who seek him. The power will improve your understanding of the power. Don't trip. The power will improve your understanding of the power. You can start making use of the power right where you are. I had a sponsee at home, and she was telling me, Ralph, you saying these things that come so easy for you. I just can't wrap my head around it. I just can't make use of it. I can't access this power yet because I don't know what it looked like. Even uh, you keep saying I need to get a concept. I, that's hard for me. I can't access this power. Check this out. Where the parents at? How many people are parents in here? That means you've had a baby. It means you've had a baby. Think of a baby. Think of a baby. And a baby don't know your name, don't know your mama, don't know your daddy. They don't know anything. But they know here's the caretaker. And the caretaker takes more care of the baby when the baby knows the caretaker, that's when you take the most care of the baby, right? I see my, I see God in the same way. I ain't gotta know his name for him to take care of me. I just gotta know. I, I ain't gotta know his name yet. I don't have to, in fact, the more I call him by name, seem like the more I'm walking away from him then. You know, be a baby. Don't worry about that. I don't need to know his name in order to access the power. I don't need to have a full, I, full concept of what daddy is. A baby don't have a full concept of what daddy is or what mommy is. But mom and daddy know that. They know this the baby. 
Don't trip off that if you're new on this spiritual path and you knew at this thing, trying to get this concept of God. And so I started getting this concept of God by working with what he ain't. I work backwards. In the chapter, we agnostic is also about why it makes more sense to believe than not to believe. I'm that kind of guy. I'm that kind of guy. Don't just come to me and tell me in the afterlife, y'all miss me. Don't just come to me and tell me, oh, you need to do this out of virtue. Do you miss me again? Oh, don't tell me. But in that chapter, it talks about why it makes more sense to believe than not to believe. And some common sense arguments for a guy like me. I'm having problems with this, with this whole God idea. But I came in the room like this. This is why we do it together. This is why we do it together. I bet you everybody in here believes that there is electricity on in this room right now, right? Why we believe it? Because we see the lights. Who sees the electricity? Nobody. But everybody believes the electricity is on, right? Because we see the lights. We don't see the electricity. We see the results. Who don't believe there's a God going, that, that, that there's a God that's doing what it is that he do? I don't know if I do, I can't see. How many people in here are sober right now? That are lights. See the results. I see the results. And when many thousands and millions of men and women who could say that the single most important fact for them today is the presence of a power. Presence of a power. Powerful reason. I used to mean, you know, I used to do, because I was still stuck in the whole religious thing. And, and you know, I was stuck in that deal. And, and, and I'm blind, you know. And, 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 and so I was, full of, I was full of prejudice toward organized religion. I was full of, I can't believe like other folk believe. That stuff is still beneath me. And, and, and in that chapter, and I like talking about it. I love talking about forming a relationship with this power. And I'm still a baby on this path. But there were some things that were very vital for me in getting off that. Because I told you guys the prejudices I had toward organized religion, right? And getting with this whole God idea. God, God. Why, why does it have to be God anyway? And then it talks about, Ralph, why don't you take a look at your life? Take a look at your life. I had a mom that raised these six boys by herself, like I told you. We were the first out of six of us. My older brother, he was really crazy, and he went off and he left home early. Then there was me, my brother Ron, and my brother Reggie. And we were the first three kids off my block to go to college. Everybody knew the white boys. My last name is White. Everybody knew <laughs> Everybody knew the white boys. Go off to school. My mother goes back to school herself, and she had been a domestic, and she had taken clothes in, and she did for other folk, and she had um, had two jobs, and, and my mom went back to high school because she didn't have a high school education. She went to college, and the year that my younger brother graduated, Ron, my mother and him graduated from college the same year, and then... Um, a couple of some years later, we were in San Francisco. My brother Ron was graduating from law school when the young and, and so it was this. 
high achieving and, and pride and, and, and accomplishment and family and, and, and all that. And my mom was like, you know, my mom was always a matriarch, big in the neighborhood, church lady, church lady, you know, church lady. And some years down the line, you fast forward. And all six of us, me and my five brothers, all ended up back in my mom's house. And we damn near killed her. And I know in those times, she had to be wondering what happened. Linda was sharing on the panel yesterday about wanting to shake her fist at God about three and my mom thought she had escaped scot-free and her boys went crazy when they were grown. And she went to church. And she stayed in a prayer circle. When we do the story, when they were doing the story about Bill Wilson calling the directory and calling all the ministers, and he uh, got to Walter Thompson, got put with Henrietta Cyberling. And that story reminds me of my mom. Because Henrietta Cyberling and Ann Smith were kind of like in a prayer circle. And, and my mom had a prayer circle. One morning she was coming home from church. At this time I had been reduced to running errands for cats in the neighborhood and doing stuff for them. And cars would come on the block and people would run up to cars and they were street entrepreneurs. <laughs> I was one. And a car came on the block, and I ran up to the car, and the window came down. And I said, what do you need? Because they were selling everything on that block. And a lady in a big hat looked out the window at me, and it was my mom. And three other ladies in hats were sitting in that car, and they were coming from church. And my mom and her church crew was confronted with her 32-year-old son at her window like that. And she never took her hand out of God's hand. And when I came to you guys, I started thinking of those stories. How I looked at religious people for being weak. What must have sustained that lady? Because time she didn't know it would have a happy ending. She didn't know that one day her son would be standing here talking to you guys about how this power has transformed his life. When you put your hand in God's hands, you don't know what it's going to look like. I always tell my guys when they want a guarantee. I don't have a guarantee for what sober it's going to look like. 
but I have a guarantee for not Trump what you're not trying is going to look like. Got a guarantee of what it's going to look like back on the block at three or four o'clock in the morning. So I started thinking, maybe these religious people were on to something. LO six three nine nine two. Old folk in here remember when phone numbers had letter prefixes. That's my grandparents' phone number. I still know it now. They've been dead, both of them, for over a dozen years, over 15 years. They had the same phone number my whole life. Hello, 63992. I don't know how many phone numbers I've had. I don't know how many addresses I've had. They have one address. Talked about be quick to see where religious people were exhibiting a degree of usefulness happiness, stability that I should have looked for for myself. I would look down. My grandfather didn't have, he didn't have a junior high school education. That man and my grandmother were married 55 years. And I used to look down on my granddad because I say I make more in one year than you'll probably make in your career. But it dawned on me, my granddaddy never asked me for bail money. Be quick to see where religious people are right. So I got on that journey, man, and it's the journey I'm still on. That quest for spiritual relationship with a power. Relationship. Relationship. And the thing about being on this path for so long, and I'm still a baby, is you develop a track record of your own. And I have a long track record now I answer prayer, but I didn't know it when I was getting on that front end of this. This relationship with power, this concept of power. You know, deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea. And I didn't know what that meant, but I've been developing because I've been uncovering what's been blocking me from the power all this time. Because the power has been there. I haven't been able to access it. Grace flows. God is God, period. Grace Flows. It's the receiver that's blocked. Grace is always flowing in and it's the receiver that's blocked. It's the receiver. So I uncover the stuff that's blocking me from this flow, from this influx of power. You know, and so I, I, I embark on that. And, and I've been really stuck on, on one thing. Either God is everything or he is nothing. What was our choice to be? That's a strange, isn't that a strange sentence? What was our choice to be? That's why I love when Clancy said that it changes in the book every year. I used to read that. God is everything or he is nothing. He either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? I was remember thinking for years. Well, even if I... Even if it seems like I think he's not, well, if God is, he is. What what do you mean? What was my choice to be? Baffled. Baffled. He's either everything or he's nothing. I say something to myself all the time. What you do speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. What you do speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. I stand up here all the time. I get the chance to go out and I get the chance to talk. And I get the chance to talk about God is everything. And then what I do speak so loud, I can't hear what you say because I get backed up against something. And I get backed up against 
my life. Decisions based on self that later put me in position, because my life is mine. I live, and, and, and when you get on this spiritual path, this whole deal, what does spiritual experience look like anyway? Well, what ain't? What ain't? A lot of times people be thinking, I got to do it right. I got to do it perfect. You know, either I don't want to get on a spiritual path because I don't like what that path looks like. It's dull. It's ordinary. It's bland. It's no sex. It's no fun. It's no sex the way I like it anyway. And all that is, you know. That's what spiritual is. Who said? That's why there's a part in the, in the appendix that talks about contempt prior to investigation. Spiritual life of you is my own. And, and, and the rest of the people, the rest of the weekend, will be talking about what this role really looks like for you. Dave and I were talking about it's, it's personalized and it's customized for me. For me. But anyway, that, that whole what is the spiritual thing, don't trip off that. Do stuff. Live. Make decisions. Two things are going to happen. Lessons and blessings. Lessons and blessings. That's all that takes place. Lessons and blessings. Most of the time, simultaneous. So for this guy, the spiritual life is not floating. For this guy, the spiritual life is not not making mistakes. For me, the spiritual life and the spiritual path sometimes is halting and it's stumbling and it's staggering, but it's moving forward. It's keeping it moving. And it's always, it's always, it's always, it's always, it's always about, okay, God, show me your face. It's always about, I'm looking for this experience. And it's always about, Ralph, what is that saying for you? What is that saying about your concept? Because I'm sitting up here thinking that God is either everything or he is nothing. And it came clear to me what that's about. I've had some valleys, and I'm tired of talking about the valleys I've been going through because now I'm going to other places. But I like talking about them because they, they are so educational for me, and they are so valuable for me. And somebody else goes through them. And don't miss the value of the lesson because you won't see the lesson when you're in the classroom. But when you get on the other side, you'll be able to see it for what it is. And so one of the things I found is when my money was gone, when I didn't have anything, Marriage gone, money gone, stuff gone. And, 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 and I had a sponsor to talk about, Ralph, God is everything and he is nothing. I believe in God, but sometimes it feels like God don't believe in me. Sometimes it feels like God ain't everything to me. He got a lot of kids on his caseload and he just got me put on the back burner. Why is it that I go two or three years without a job? Why is it that I go and, I'm, and, and this romance thing is gone? And, the, and I've been two or three years without a And I've been like, but the deal about it is I have not slept under the stars. I I have not missed a meal. I have not gone a day without laughing. I travel all over the world. God has been carrying and taking care of the, of his boy. You know, and I am so grateful to know that. But I see stuff twisted because I'm selfish and self-centered. So I'm thinking I know what's right for me. We're going to talk about it. And so going into that deal, either God is everything or he's nothing. Why? Why is that? Because if he ain't everything, he's me. <laughs> Definition of God. You know, what's less than every, what's less than every, I'm less than everything. God either is or he isn't. What was my choice to be? You know why that's the choice? Because when he ain't everything, when he's over here, oh, he, he's cool when I'm at meetings. You know, God is okay when he's directing my sober life. But right now, I haven't had a job, man, and, and I don't feel like getting up some mornings because it's, it's crushing me. You know, uh, they're not, now my marriage is falling. I got with somebody, they don't want me. All I think about is them. And, and all of a sudden, I realize 
lies, you know, and I don't want to go nowhere, and I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to take calls from sponsees. This ain't the right call. I want the, I only want one call to come through. I don't want to answer texts. I don't want to go nowhere. Oh, I'm the only one, right? You know, so I'm... <laughs> And all of a sudden, when life starts feeling that heavy on a guy named Ralph, guess what? Why God doing this to me? Ain't no God. God is either everything or he is nothing. It ain't the question that God is gone. For me, he is. For me, he feels like he is. When he ain't everything, when God is not in. And and the everything don't mean, oh, job is coming next. No. It means job or no job. He got me. It means girl or no girl. He got me. It means kids acting right or not. He got me. When I live in my life and not in my head, I'm all right, but I I live in my head most of the time. In my life, I'm usually all right. In my life, I walk hand in hand with my power. But most of the time, I live in my head. Secret. Secret. Because it's hard to do this God thing all the time. Tell you something I learned from myself. It's a whole lot easier when I'm with you. Because you know my solution to loneliness? Isolate. That'll do it. World ain't fair. I'm all on my own. I'm facing this by myself. Why don't I just, they pull up the covers this morning? Why don't we do that one? Anybody else pull up the covers? Either God is everything or he is nothing. Takes me to that third step. Made a decision to turn my will, which is my thinking, and my life, which is my actions, over to the care of God's understanding. I'm not good with money. And I, this is just me. This is how I read that step. I'm not good with money. Clancy good with money. Clancy a money manager, say. Clancy, would you grow my money for me? I'm going to give you my money. I'm, so I give him Clancy my money. He's a money manager. Right? He, he invests in the rest of Whose money is it? Whose money is it? Whose? It's my money. Somebody said God. God don't need money. Somebody said said God. What God need money for? Anyway, that's side issue. Somebody said God. See, people get carried away when we do these things and take it to a whole nother plane. Oh, it's God's money? No. That's my money, damn it. You still got an alcoholic up here talking while you're playing. God's money. No, that's my money. (laughs) So Clancy is a money manager. I give it to Clancy, but it's my money, but it's in Clancy's care. It's in his care because he do better with it than I do. He do better with it than I do. When you got your kids and they're your babies, they're in your care, but their life is whose? It's theirs. It ain't yours. You care for them. You take care of them. You, look, you do better for them than they do for themselves because they're babies. They're infants. They can't do it. And the older they get, the more you let them stretch out on their own. But basically, it's their life. 
I'm directing and I'm because I know better for them than they know for themselves. And the older they get, okay, okay, okay. And that's the same on this path too. So this third step deal, you know, made a decision to serve my will, which is my thinking and my life, which is my actions over the care of God's first requirement for that. I had to be convinced that my life run on my will cannot be a success. What would convince me of that? Look at the record. Look at the record. If your life run on your will is successful, keep running it. Don't do the third. Second step is the solution. Three through 12, the 10-step program of action to effectualize that solution. Because I don't get the, I don't consummate the second step in step two. Step two said, came to believe the power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. At the end of step nine, it'll say, for by now, sanity has returned. So I consummate the rest of that stuff is what I do to actual to put legs to that. The second step came to believe. And there's some actions I take, because this is a program of action. This ain't a program of thinking. This ain't a program of talking. It's a program of action. You know, and don't, and don't think you can that, that, that I attack this deal. And that's why, in the second step, this ain't an intellectual. You know, this is not an intellectual exercise. This is not a thinking about God. This is not a meditation on God. This is not what that deal is about at all. You know, I, disease centers in my thinking. Recovery centers in my feet. Don't try to do the disease with your head. That's where it is. I'm going to treat it with it. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Recovery centers in my feet. It's what I do. It's what I do. So I get to that thirst. I made a decision to turn my will, which is my thing in my life, which is my actions, over to the care of God. And, 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 and I got scared. And if you think about that step, you should get scared. What if God wants me to be something I don't want to be? What if he puts me in a white polyester suit preaching on a street corner? You know, I had a friend say, that would be better than what you were doing when you came up in here. Why are you tripping? <laughs> Got a point, you know. But God ain't going to make me be not me. You know, God is not going to, you know, uh Build them. They talked about having nine kids. I guarantee you, they didn't want all nine kids to be the same. I want each one to be themselves. I have my my daughters, Rain and River. You know, my oldest daughter. I was going in her piggy bank when she was two years old. Share that in my story all the time. What month are we in now? December. In September. In in the beginning of October, my daughter, my oldest daughter got sworn in and she's practicing law in the county of Los Angeles right now, you know. And that's Rain. And Rain wanted to be a lawyer. River, my 16-year-old, she's at a performing arts high school. And we go all over. I'm just a taxi everywhere. We're doing performances. She wants to be an actress. And I don't want Rain to be River. And I don't want River to be Rain. I want for her what she wants for her. And I believe that's what God is. What makes me think, and I had to go to concept... Again, concept of the power, and I'm constantly, because I'm after this spiritual experience, so I'm after that. So when I ask myself, what was God go, what is God going to do with me? What's my concept? What made me think God want for me what's not best for me? Oh, let me back up. My concept of God is he wants for me what's best for me. What's best for me. And he wants what's best for Ralph. I don't want Ralph to be Sandy. I don't want Ralph to be clean. I might want to be, you know, and I, I might want to be him as a matter. You know the difference between God and me? God ain't never woke up and thought he was Ralph. You know. 
So this this this, this deal, the third step, and I, I don't know how close we are. Lee, that third step, when you get to that prayer, it talks about we think long and hard. And every time I think about that prayer, every time I think about it, it still gives me chills. God, I offer myself to thee. I first took that prayer with a group of people on my knees. And I did it with a group. And I had a little less than a year of sobriety. And Mari, if I had come to you with that less than a year of sobriety and say, Mari, I offer myself to you, you would have said, okay, that's a nice thought, but keep it moving, dude. You know, I was not a vision for you. You know, didn't have nothing. Didn't have much to offer. 18 months without a job. Really enthusiastic about this program. On fire. Fire for recovery. Pretty much it. But when I do that third step prayer, I don't know what I don't care what condition you're in. God, I offer myself today, and He'll take me. He don't say keep it moving. He don't say you're not ready. He don't say you don't know enough. He don't say you need to quit that line before you come to me. He don't say you need to quit that chasing before you come to me. He don't say you need to cut out the lust you're doing before you come to me. He don't say none of that. Don't wait to get right to come. God, I offer myself to do with me and to build with me as you do something with me. The humility that it takes for a guy like me. Do something with this piece of man. Just amazes me. It amazes me where my life has gone. And I'm not amazed so much at me because I've had ups and downs and stuff come and stuff go. But I'm amazed at the power of the power. The transformational power of this power to do what it does over and over and over and over and over and over again. And he ain't tired and he don't discriminate. He's still doing it. I offer myself to build with me and to do with me. Relieve me of the bondage of self. All I think about is me, 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 me. My wife drank at 12 years. Oh, she drank on me. No, she didn't. She drank it. Why are they doing this to me? They ain't doing nothing to me. That's, that's their business. This is, everything is from the prism of how it affects Ralph. The, the longer you hear, the more you realize what this thing is really about. It's about freedom. Freedom from the bondage itself. If you're sitting in here right now and you think it's just about relief, that's okay. Relief is okay. But what we really have is freedom. Freedom. And if you want to taste freedom... From the bondage of all the stuff I'm wrapped up in. The freedom from me. I'm just sick of me and, and me being on me. Listen to the rest of these people the rest of the weekend. There are some amazing presenters that are going to come up here. And the thing that I like the most about them is they're not just communicators. They live it. They live it. Demonstrations. That's what I need to see. Demonstrations. Build with me and do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage. Better take away my difficulties. Not that they, they're inconvenient for me, though I would like them to be gone. They hurt. I don't like them. But victory over them. God sent me to tell you 
He sent me with a message, and he gave me the message through what I perceived as my difficulties. If the things I see as problems in my life are God's opportunities for me to grow, I'm here to tell you you can grow in the valley. I'm here to tell you you can grow through any adversity. I'm here to tell you you can laugh in the face of anything that's going on. I'm here to tell you not only can you live, you can survive, and you can prosper. You can prosper if they take your house. You can prosper if you lose marriage. You can prosper if you lose all your money. You can still stand up, and God is not through. And he got And I'm glad that he, sometimes I just think to myself that some of the stuff I get visited with, he thinks enough of me. I might be lying to myself, but he thinks enough of me. He thinks enough of his boy, you know. And so, um, I am so looking forward to the rest of the weekend myself. Because I'm still on this deal. I'm still looking for this spiritual experience. Spiritual experience. Essence of it. Tell you the whole essence. Whole deal. And then I could have just said this and I could have shut up. But the rest of it is how do we do this? Grow God. Shrink Ralph. I'm Ralph White. I'm alcohol. (laughs) 